3: perfect home, sweet home. It's podcasting time.
4: podcast Damn it. I am Robert Evans, host of Behind the Bastards, trying to find a new uh, strategy for introducing the show because I got tired of the old ways. And... I ju- that was not a success. Uh nope. it was a miserable failure. Yep. Um and uh today though my guest is not a miserable failure. It's Mr. Billy Wayne Davis! Hey Airhorn. Sorry. Airhorn, Airhorn. So How you doing, Billy? Good. Was that too good? Loud? I liked it. No, <laughs> I liked it. No, your that was enthusiasm. fine. <laughs> I think a lot of people who have their, their car stereos up high in the early part of the show are maybe frustrated with it. You, you might have caused a car wreck or two. It was aggressive.
5: I apologize. You guys. I was
4: just excited. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, it made me Billy, happy. I'm trying to find a new way to introduce my show, and I'm clearly terrible at it. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, notes, you know, you're a professional introducer. I know. I mean, it's
5: basically, I like the way you were doing it before, because it was like- The what's X and my Ys? Yeah. Yeah. It's catchy, and I mean, it's exhausting to come up with a new one every time. But it is. I do like when I feel it. My favorite part is when you can feel you making it up as you go.
6: Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, yeah, that's definitely the case every time. Mm-hmm. I was. I'm debating as to whether or not to stick to a format, though. But uh, well, I wrote, there is we I have wrote one. one.
6: He won't use the one I wrote. He has
4: a format. You yeah. wrote one?
6: Yeah. You, what, what did you write? I said, "What well, salty my ex boyfriends." It's great, right? No, nobody. All right, continue with your show. I'm just gonna what, go. What's assaulting your ex bo- Okay. No, what's well, salty, we have some, like salt oh, it, see, as opposed already, to oh, what's cracking my peppers.
5: Already takes you in a direction you do not want to go off the bat where you're mm-hmm. like, wait, what you, mm-hmm. is that? Or is she okay? Because
4: I don't I don't <laughs> know what's salting your ex-boyfriends. I do know what's cracking my peppers. I like that one. It's the pepper cracker that I have. You like a de pepper?
6: Also buy that shirt on TeePublic. Public. It's cute. Okay.
4: Yeah. So we have some old business before we get into the episode today, Billy. Uh, one of those pieces of old business is that uh, a couple of, of our fans found you at a comedy show and gave you a wonderful gift for me. Yes. Uh, That's a, and an odd gift. They did contact me and us
5: before on Twitter, which was nice and very thoughtful because it is nice to know to expect this gift. And Yeah, it's not a kind of gift you'd want to receive at random. (laughs) No God and especially at this show it was like in a house basement in Louisville. Oof. (laughs) So like the show was in this guy's these people's basement and then I was selling T shirts and just meeting people afterwards in their living room basically. And then yeah, these People stood in line very patiently and they're like, Hey, we'd like to buy a t shirt and I was like, Cool. And then they're like, also, here you go. And I was like, Ah, oh, it's real. <laughs> and and what 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 was this gift, Billy? It was it's, it's a brown shirt, uh Nazi dagger.
4: <laughs> and it's it's legit. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they t- reached out to us on Twitter beforehand and explained that it was like a family heirloom they didn't want to have anymore, Yes, and he was a brother and sister. Um, they so were I, so I, happy I'm, to give it to me. <laughs> and I I don't really know what to do with such a thing. Um, it is a piece of history, uh, and, and uh, an interesting one at that. Um, definitely not the kind of thing you want to have out just in your living room, because people will make the wrong conclusions about it. No, and my uh, wife and
5: mother-in-law were at my house when I opened it because I shipped it because I didn't want to fly with it. Yeah. Also, I have blonde hair and blue eyes. Somebody just found me with it. They'd be like, "Yeah, this checks out. <laughs> yeah, was all,
4: yeah, this is his." Well, in it, the fact that it's a family heirloom of theirs reminds me of one of my weird family moments. my my dad's dad did something spooky for the u.s government like he was doing he was always over in vietnam during the war and nobody seems to know precisely what he was up to like there's like the <laughs> thing that he said he was doing but everybody in the family's like yeah but it was anyway and <laughs> yeah, he was but in... he was never dirty <laughs> do you know what i mean <laughs> no no i mean it was it was so like that was what he did in like the 60s but he was in germany right after the war um, and years after he died, we found, like, a little box that was just full to the brim with, like, Hitler Youth armbands and, like, pennants and stuff like that. Like, a whole lot of them. Um, and it was always like, what the, what's the story here? Like, I'm certain it was just like, he was in Germany after the war, they found a bunch of Nazis, he was like, oh, I'll. Uh, we should put this in a box. But it's weird. It's a weird thing to, like, find, right? <laughs> like, to find a bunch of them.
5: There's yeah, weird, like finding one, you are like, I can see but like someone just. I am going to take that. That's pretty weird. But yeah. to find a
4: bunch of them, like, did you do something with a bunch of them? <laughs> and I don't think so. But it was. It's a strange. It's a strange thing to come across. Um, and I am going to guess it was something like that for our fans, where that some somebody's grandpa was over in Germany, yes. and shoots some guy or is in some house, or like, oh, okay, I guess this is what I am taking back. It was used. <laughs> Yeah. It was, I mean, I, uh, yeah, it's haunted, for sure. <laughs> well, Billy, speaking of Nazis, and speaking of racists, today's episode is about the racist chemical weapons engineer who probably cooked up the MDMA that you'd used, if you've oh, done man. MDMA. Yeah. <laughs> so, I told you it was
6: going to be uplifting.
4: I mean... It's it's a fun one. He's a doctor, so it's on brand for us. But, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he is a doctor, <laughs>
5: <laughs> That's, but I mean, I always assume when you're doing certain types of drugs, you're
4: like, there's just, there's bad people have touched this. Like cocaine, for sure. Yes. Um like MDMA is made in a lot of different places. Like I've known some people who were like, what made cooked MDMA in their like college lab while they were getting their PhD. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I feel fine about that, you yes. know? Uh, yeah. That but, I mean, ethical just, to me. <laughs> I just mean
5: on the black market period. Yeah. There's always, there's, when you go to the black market, you're like, ah, there's just, yeah. there you have to accept there's a percentage of like bad is involved in this. But, yeah, and bad people, you know, it's how like most good people accidentally do bad stuff. It sounds like this bad guy accidentally did some good stuff.
4: Yeah, yeah, and it's like so the the, the extent to which this guy was selling MDMA is such that if you did ecstasy in the nineteen nineties. Uh, during the height of the rave scene or probably in the early 2000s there's a very good chance you did this guy's ecstasy cool like if if you were if you were raving in like 1998 uh and you did you came across a batch of fucking awesome e like there's a, a like the odds are really good that it was cooked by this dude walter Basson. so that's the guy we're talking about today um and we're not talking about his mostly about his career making ecstasy. We're talking about his career as a chemical weapons engineer trying to exterminate the black race. Oh, um, see? There's always yeah. Ooh uh, boy. <laughs> you had me. Here. I was like, I don't
5: know, he sounds pretty fun. He just yes, makes a great. lot of great
4: Oh, okay. 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 He's 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 a genocider. <laughs> oh damn it. attempted genocider. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, it, the story of Walter Basson is a really fucked up and interesting one, but but to actually, like, tell it, uh, there's a lot of background that I think people need about the history of chemical weapons, so we're gonna talk about that a little bit first. Are you a chemical weapons fan, Billy? No.
5: No? I mean, I understand them, That's and a I've bold take. looked at, you know, I've, I like all military stuff on some level, so I've read into it, but some of it gets real horrific so quick. yeah. Like in the uh yeah. torture kind of way. Do you know what I mean?
4: Y- yeah. So it, like it's like I can enjoy like I can I can both understand like the horror of trench warfare in World War One and how much artillery played into that yes. and appreciate like looking at a piece of artillery and how it functions and the way the mechanics work. And part of that's because, like, you can see, like, you can go to a war reenactment, and you can see cannons being used, and they're not hurting anybody. There's, there's none of that with chemical weapons. Like, they, they, there's no, like, displaying them. There's no appreciating uh, the mechanics of it. Like, it's purely designed to not just kill people, but to do it horribly. Horribly. Um, horribly. Yes. Like... With firearms, they do horrible things too. But we also get like fireworks out of that genealogy. Like there's fun things associated with yes. them. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Not with chemical weapons. <laughs> We're well, like, this
5: makes your insides be on your outside, and you're like, just yes yeah. blow somebody up, man. Come on.
4: Yeah. An yeah, no, honest, god fearing howitzer. Yeah. Yes.
5: There's something so, to that, like just instant death.
4: Yeah. Yeah, instant death and like death in a way that you know, we've been doing for a long like people have always blown each other up in war. In very like, they've what had different getting, ways of yeah. doing it. Yeah. But this chemical weapons are like pretty new. Um, and this is actually something like we talk about in the Fritz Haber episodes. And whenever I talk about like the birth of chemical weapons, like a whole bunch of people are going to hit me up on Twitter and be like, no, the first use was this. And the first use was that. And they'll tell stories about like Mongols catapulting plague victims over walls or like something like that. And I, I, I get what they're saying. I don't think that stuff really counts. Um, because like sickness has always been a part of war and like cunning commanders have always found ways to spread illness among their enemies because it makes sense yes uh, chemical weapons in the modern sense are something really different I think um, just, just one yeah. immune mongol just running with the plague <laughs> <laughs> There's so Mr. the, the first for-
5: warfare over there,
4: <laughs> yeah. There's a difference between that and like gassing a town with Saren, in my view. Yes, um, I agree. Yeah. Yes,
5: yeah, because yeah. yeah, that's just more of like, hey, this is loose works, but being like, yeah, someone in the their army being like, we're gonna gas them. You're like, wait, what? No, what?
4: Ah, oh. yeah, it's it's it's. I mean, and this is like a personal line for everybody, so people may disagree with me, but I can. We it's like it's complicated when you try to talk about like where it all started. Like the first formal treaty that forbade something that you could call chemical warfare was probably the Franco-German Treaty of 1675. But that just banned the use of poison in war. So it wasn't really like like chemical weapons. It was more like you can't rub shit on your bullets and then shoot people. That's bad, you know? I mean, it was like that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in 1874, a can. bunch of- uh, I mean, you can, and shit's going to get in your bullet wounds anyway, because mm-hmm. there's poop everywhere in war. That's one of the eternal truths of war, is all the poop. Um, and a festival. yeah, it, It's the same. And,
5: and the what? And a festival, like a music festival.
4: Yes, yeah, music festivals and warfare have a lot in common. Um, I'm actually more okay with the use of chemical warfare on music festivals, but I'm not a big fan of Bonnaroo, so. No, it's... Live Nation bought it. And used <laughs> it um, so, in 1874, about a dozen European states signed the Brussels Declaration, which banned poison gas and other poisons as weapons of war. So, it was the first time like a modern chemical weapon was banned. As 1874, um, and the Brussels Declaration was never ratified. But in 1899, the Hague Convention on the Laws of War was signed by every major European power, and they agreed universally to avoid the use of poison. The convention included a declaration on asphyxiating gases uh, and explicitly forbade the use of projectiles designed solely for gas warfare. Now, the first modern chemical weapons attack uh, on a huge scale occurred at Ypres in Belgium on uh, April 22nd, 1914. We talked about this on the Fritz Haber episode. German soldiers emptied cans of chlorine gas and trusted the wind to carry them into the foe. Um, And there were similar experiments. What could go wrong? What could go wrong? On that day, it was great. (laughs) Yeah, but afterwards, it it didn't work out so well for anybody. (laughs) Jesus. so yeah, it's um that was like the first kind of like modern chemical weapon attack and by the end of World War 1 there'd been a grand total of 3000 different chemical agents tested as potential weapons. So every side was guilty of this even though they'd signed a thing saying they wouldn't do it. Um, something like 124,000 metric tons of chemical weapons were delivered via 66 million artillery shells over the course of the war, causing around a million casualties. And as you might notice, this clearly violates the, the letter and spirit of the Hague Convention. Mm-hmm. Um, the way all the powers got around this was by arguing that their poison gas shells didn't violate the letter of the Hague Convention um, because the, the the explosive shells they delivered them in didn't just kill people with gas. Since they exploded, they still killed people through explosions, too. So their argument was like, well, the Hague Convention just banned shells that only disperse chemical weapons since well, our shells well, explode, technically, too. It's- <laughs> technically, <laughs>
5: technically, technically, it- we also. I- yeah. I-, I hate you guys so much. I hate you. Guys. It's so
4: fucking <laughs> shitty. Yeah. And it reminds me, like, as a kid I was a war gamer, like, I played a lot of those little games with models, and, like, the rules lawyering that you encounter in that hobby it's just weird to realize, like, oh, the same thing happens in real war. Like, yeah. there were a bunch of, like, overweight, shitty assholes standing around a table being like no, it doesn't break the rules because of this it was amazing." Just a Just a bunch of bearded Dudes who've never been near a battlefield yelling about like what doesn't break the letter of the law while like actual soldiers get gassed. It's amazing. Well, that's what
5: I was thinking. Like, while you were saying that, there's every war, it sounds like there comes to a point where like, okay, okay, you can't do that anymore. God damn, stop doing that. Like, every yeah. war, there's like something like we humans just figure out, like, okay, okay, what about this? And then it comes to the point <laughs> where everybody's like, all right, it's just we got to stop. We can't do that. Oh, God what What is that? Stop that. <laughs> every time
4: <Yeah>. it's fun. <laughs> so yeah, it 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 World War I was shit. Uh, chemical weapons made it worse, and in nineteen twenty five the great powers signed the Geneva Protocol on asphyxiating poisonous and other gases, um, which would have banned all chemical weapons in warfare, like without any sort of exceptions in it. Um, the only two major powers who did not ratify the proposal were the united states and japan which is interesting the u.s has a long history of advocating for rules in warfare but then forbidding or refusing to sign on to them because it will limit what we can do you in wars should sign that. um <laughs> yeah yeah we should we it's probably a good thing to sign, that should sign um that. I should say, though, that, like, the the Geneva Convention was kind of bullshit in some ways just because, like, there was an exemption in it that if you were attacked with chemical weapons by a state, you could use chemical weapons in defense of your country. And there was another provision that allowed chemical weapons to be used on any states or groups that had not signed the Geneva Protocol, um, which meant that colonial powers could continue to deploy mustard gas against their tribal enemies. Mm -hmm. So it was like, we can't use chemical weapons on other white people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 yeah, basically that's, the law that they agree on after World War 1. <laughs> we're not barbarians. But we're going to keep doing this to the people we call barbarians. We do need to keep some order because. Yeah. It, the Geneva Protocols also made it legal to stockpile chemical weapons. So it's like you can't use them, <laughs> but you can build up an arsenal of them, and you can use it if you're attacked or if you need to suppress people who don't have a country. So that's cool. That's like
5: they're just giving people like poker chips. And, like you can't spend them unless you like mm-hmm. really need
2: it,
4: unless you really want to. Yeah, you kind of. That's kind of always how rules about warfare are. Like nobody. It's it's. I guess in part because it's usually not people who have ever faced those weapons uh, who are like signing onto the conventions about them. It's a bunch of politicians being like, "Yeah," and generals all sort of like debate. But well, okay, but what if we need to? Well, then we'll we'll have this exception in so that we can still use them if we need to. Yeah, um, yeah. But it is that. I mean, that is their job is to think
5: like that too. So it's like that weird.
4: Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, they're all a bunch of fucking lawyers. Now, the the first nation to break with the protocols was fascist Italy and their colonial war with Ethiopia, um, which was a state at that point in time. Uh, Mussolini's troops dropped mustard gas bombs en masse on Ethiopian villagers in 1935 and 36, killing and wounding more than 15,000 people. Uh, Mussolini's actions were a clear violation of the protocol, but the League of Nations refused to do anything. This would prove to be the last time an international organization failed to take action against a fascist gassing civilians. So that's good. Nice. Never happened again. Never, not, not, not once. Mm -mm. (laughs) Now I can't uh, recall any of no. So I've been no, right. uh, that's what's great about international governance is that it's a thing that really happens. Oh yeah, it's just um, it's not a it's not theater. <laughs> yeah, it's not at all, not at all theater. Okay. Uh, totally a real thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so World War II uh, wasn't a great time for anybody, um, but one of its few bright spots is that, in the European theater at least, chemical weapons were not deployed. Uh, This did not stop both the Axis and the Allies from manufacturing huge quantities of them. Um, And the failure of either side to use chemical weapons was not due to high-minded ideals on anyone's part, but more due to a balance of terror that kept bare minimums of human decency in place in this one specific field of war. Um, I'd like to quote from a Carnegie Council paper on the rise and fall of chemical weapons about this. Quote, while the Allies refined older model gases like phosgene and mustard, the Germans invented a new, far deadlier category of chemical weapons, nerve agents. In one of the greatest intelligence coups of the war, the Nazis successfully kept this development secret from the Allies until their surrender. If they had chosen to use these weapons on Allied troops, they might have altered the course of history. Once again, Germany had its superior chemical industry to thank. Chemists from IG Farben, then one of the world's largest corporations, stumbled on compounds of extraordinary potency while trying to develop potential insecticides for commercial use. What became came sarin, tabun, and soman all nerve gases which cause the cascading failure of body functions, including the body forgetting to breathe and then rapid death, were developed by German scientists working with their Wehrmacht counterparts. IG Farben, by the way, is Bayer today. So that's cool. That's cool. That's yeah, your aspirin's made by the people who invented sarin. Cool. I mean, they know what they're doing. God. They do. You know, I would I would argue that sarin works better at its intended application than aspirin.
5: Yes. Yeah I, yeah, I can attest to that from what I've seen and experienced. <laughs> but aspirin doesn't do shit. Do you, yeah. Like when you're work like as you develop that, you just go home. and Your wife's like, well, "How was today?" You're like, "It was intense."
4: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I imagine a lot of scientists like sitting out with a beer, watching the sunset, like staring at their kids playing in the yard, and just like shaking their heads, it's yeah. like, "Ah, should ah." Uh, <laughs> I don't think we should have done that. I do
5: not. uh
4: <laughs> This might go bad places. It
5: feels like it's gonna bite us in the ass. It does.
4: I feel like there's all the best scientists wind up feeling like that at some point. Like, we had a whole generation of them on the Manhattan Project who must have just gone home. You get this reading them where they're just sitting around being like, oh boy, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Probably yeah. shouldn't be doing this job. <laughs> yeah, they just know
5: just enough of the, like, yeah. I don't think we should do this you
4: get okay all right i'm just not okay yeah it's like everybody spreads that oppenheimer like that that anecdote about him reciting that line from the bhagavad gita i am become death the destroyer of worlds and i feel like when you're talking about when you need to change your career if you feel the need to quote that unironically about what you're doing Maybe you need a new job.
5: Yeah, you're like know, this is. <laughs> yeah, maybe you're not in the right field. I just, I'm, I feel like I'm in over my head. I'm in over yeah. my head
4: now. I'm gonna. I just like science. That's all I. Yeah. I just like science. <laughs> I bet his resume was fun. Just like 1943 to 1945, I became death the destroyer of worlds. 1941 to 42, like. <laughs> you, may yeah. um, you may have heard about me. You may have heard about me. Yeah. You know the guy who will ultimately be responsible for the end of human civilization. That was my day job. Was, I figured it out. Uh, yeah, it was a so, math uh,
5: problem, and I got it first. Yeah,
4: yeah, I got it right. Yeah. And ah, damn it! Yeah.
5: That is, I mean, when most scientists I know. It's the, their whole thing is like we don't know, so we're just constantly mm-hmm. trying to figure out we everything is like oh we don't really know. And mm-hmm. that's what happens is, like, you guys keep asking questions, man. You know, it's like doing too many drugs sometimes. I like, don't go down that hallway, man. Yeah, you're
4: going to go too far, and you're not going to be able to come back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. at least when people do that on acid, like, it just leads to them following fish around for seven yeah, and, years. Yeah, like,
5: and the military doesn't weaponize it. You're exactly...
4: <laughs> yeah, yes. not yet. Yeah, <laughs> They've tried, that's for sure. They have tried. It's yes. just hard to. So, uh, after World War II, the U.S. and the Soviet Union embarked on a dark and secret arms race to build more varied stockpiles of chemical weapons. By 1957, the U.S. stockpile of sarin was so vast that we started developing a new series of nerve gases, the V for venomous agents. VX nerve gas is probably the most famous of these. It's three times as toxic as sarin when inhaled and a thousand times as toxic when absorbed through the skin. Because we had too
5: much of the (laughs) other, we gotta make it worse? Yeah. That was our... I just make sure... And this isn't, I forget this isn't TV, I just threw my hands up and I was like, just mm-hmm. Jesus. I'm like, we have too much, let's just make some more. Yeah.
4: Well, and if you follow the line of thinking there, it's remarkable, because like, in 1945, like we see that the Nazis have like, operated the most brutal regime in history, have gassed 11 million people to death and, like, the the fastest massacre in the history of human murder. And we were like, oh, and these same people developed the deadliest poison anyone's ever developed. I guess let's take it and make more. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's the... <laughs> oh, we are so shitty. Like, like everyone is, but ev- specifically the U.S. post-World War II. <laughs> yeah. yeah, oh, we won. We're gonna take everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is... We won... The worst people ever designed the worst poison ever. Let's make it. Oh, we've made so much of it that there's no point in us having more. Let's make a deadlier version of it. <laughs> yeah, just in case
5: somebody finds all ours, we'll yeah. something worse.
4: <laughs> now, Billy, you know what isn't a thousand times deadlier than sarin gas? No. The products and services that support this podcast. We don't know that. I do, I do. I can guarantee you that if you if you deploy the products and services that support this podcast against say a recalcitrant rebel village, uh it won't suffocate them. I hope you're right. I hope you're right. I I suspect I am in this case. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, here is our non-weaponizable products, services.
1: just being me. Amy Winehouse, back to black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson, rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent, only in theaters May 17th.
4: My favorite spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. Wow, how have I been living like this?
3: perfect home sweet home we're back okay
4: so Billy, we've been talking about poison gas a mm-hmm. little bit this morning, and that's been fun. Um and I should probably talk a little bit here about what these chemicals we're talking about do. So sarin nerve gas basically turns off the off switch for your muscles and nerves, which leads to constant muscle contractions, seizures, uncontrollable convulsion, and exhaustion that can cause respiratory paralysis, which is when your lungs forget to work, and of course death. But it doesn't turn off your nerves, so you get to feel all No, that. it's you're in horrible pain. Uh, you know? Oh, yeah, it's, it's terrible that's,
5: that's a fun one that's fun
4: yeah it's it it's good motherfucker uh, vx nerve gas works the same way but at lower doses and it's much faster one liter of vx nerve gas contains enough individual doses to kill a million human beings whoa that's yeah that's that's cool that's helpful just
5: yeah i don't need a lot <laughs> we made it good so you don't need much <laughs>
4: You can kill a million people with this much. (laughs) Thanks, guys. And again, the dudes who did that went home and, like, watched fireworks with their families. Uh (laughs) It's amazing. We're gonna leave early. We're gonna leave early. Yeah. Well, guys, we made a leader of this shit. Time to go home for the day. (laughs) This will kill a million people. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes, it will. So... Uh, By the late 1950s, the Soviet Union had also learned how to produce VX nerve gas, and they started making it too. Now, the USSR was, in general, a major distributor of uh, horrific poisons throughout the Cold War. Mm -hmm. They sent a shitload of chemical weapons to Egypt, a nation who today still refuses to sign the Chemical Weapons Convention. In 1963, Egypt deployed phosgene and mustard gas against Yemeni forces. In 1967, they again used nerve gas in Yemen. Many of these weapons were likely supplied directly by the Soviet Union. In the mid-1980s, Saddam Hussein's Iraq began producing its there own VX we, nerve here gas. Here Yeah. Yeah. It was deployed extensively throughout the Iran-Iraq war. Now, the U.S. did not approve of any of this directly, no. nor did we directly hand the Iraqi regime VX nerve gas, uh, but we did use our intelligence apparatus to inform Iraq of the position of Iranian military units, knowing full well that Iraq would deploy chemical weapons against them. No way. Um, and then we later used this as a justification for invading them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going quote from a great article in foreign policy quote u.s officials have long uh, denied acquiescing to iraqi chemical attacks insisting that hussein's government never announced he was going to use the weapons but retired air force colonel rick francona who was a military attache in baghdad during the 1988 strikes paints a different picture the iraqis never told us that they intended to use nerve gas they didn't have to we already knew so yeah that's cool yeah so everybody's fine in the Cold War with using chemical weapons. Because it's point I'm cold.
5: Making. Yeah, chemicals warm people up. It's a Cold War.
3: Come that on, is true, guys. Billy. We're
5: not having a They're... real war. We're just having a like, <laughs> hey, come on, do something It's over chilly. Here.
4: Warm up with this VX. <laughs> It'll uh, make your muscles contract and ex- <laughs> that'll warm you up. <laughs> it makes you sweat. Come on, it's like exercise. You know what they you say. You don't have to do. People having fatal seizures are never chilly. mm They sweat a lot. Nope. They sweat a lot. Uh, so I brought all of this up as background because the stuff we're about to talk about today, uh, Walter Basson and South Africa is horrific, but it's important to understand the context of the global chemical, uh, warfare industry and its use in the 1970s and 80s. Um, when we start talking about chemical weapons and the nations that use them, it's not a story that has any good guys, but there's definitely bad guys. And Walter Basson is one of the worst. Um, Mr. Basson was born on July 6th, 1950, seven years before the birth of the V-series of nerve gases, and we don't know much about his early life. He grew up around Cape Town and became a cardiologist, and he seems to have excelled in his career. He practiced medicine in the suburbs of that city, and the employee of the South African Defense Forces. He eventually rose to the rank of brigadier and became a trusted part of the military medical establishment. Um, so have you ever heard of Rhodesia, Billy Wayne? Maybe. Is it a place or is it an herb? It's a it's a place. Um, It was a place. Uh, Rhodesia was essentially a a call. It's like modern day Zimbabwe, Um, but back when white people were in charge of it, it was called Rhodesia. Gotcha. Now, in the 1960s and 70s, the European powers started to increasingly pull out of their African colonies, and this posed a problem for the parts of Africa that had sizable white populations who had grown up basically controlling large chunks of land and ruling over large numbers of black people. Uh, Rhodesia was named after the arch-colonialist Cecil Rhodes, who will certainly have an episode of his own one of these days. Um, and so for years, there was, like, this big conflict over Rhodesia, um, and basically, like, actually, a lot of our, like, the modern military tactics that the U.S. military uses in Afghanistan and Iraq, like, counterinsurgency tactics, were invented by the white Rhodesian military to suppress the black population. Cool, we're just, you know,
5: taking from yeah. the good and keep doing the good, you know? <laughs> you That's take,
4: yeah, exactly.
5: <laughs> um... Like, have you ever heard of Soldier of Fortune magazine? I have. I used to read it when I was little, you know. I didn't understand yeah. what
4: it was. Well, during, like, the 70s, they would put in ads for the Rhodesian military. Because Rhodesia would, like, solicit white people from America and Europe to come and fight as and become, like, colonial uh, uh, warriors, suppressing, like, the black population. It's super fucked up. The story of Rhodesia is incredibly fucked up. I just, um, but I they, know where hmm? we grew up, people were like, y'all. You can go over. You can go
5: over there and get to shoot people. You can kill them. And they pay you. Not racist there. It's fine. It was. I saw it in an ad. It was in Soldier of Fortune magazine. Well, in the back of a magazine,
4: you can go over and kill people, and it's okay. All the best militaries advertise in the back of a magazine. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) <laughs> Jesus. Um, so the rhodesian uh struggle for i don't know colonial domination um ended in the early 1970s in defeat and with the establishment of the nation of zimbabwe <laughs> we ran um, out of racist americans <laughs> did, we did we ran out of racists <laughs> hey, y'all win i guess yeah <laughs> you gave your country um, back so that left just one power in africa fighting for white supremacy obviously south africa yeah mm-hmm. um now the badly outnumbered white population of south africa managed to maintain power via a brutal police state and oppressive laws that made jim crow look still pretty bad but but l- less bad uh that's not the best way to frame it it was even worse than jim crow is what i'm saying about the apartheid state yeah, you in don't want to be you don't want to have
5: that argument either way we're like hey
4: we're not that yeah it was like you 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 take the most racist people in america and you make them more racist and that was the government of south africa in the mid-1970s like or maybe not more racist but with more power to be racist is probably a better way to frame it Mm -hmm. because i suspect a lot of racists in america in this period would have done what the south african government did but they just weren't allowed to but they didn't they didn't have the internet to like you know, motivate them. Be like, oh, they're getting it done down there. We could be more racist. (laughs) I knew we wasn't doing enough. So uh, in the mid-1970s, South Africa got involved in a civil war in Angola fighting on the side of anti-communist rebels. And this was a very complicated conflict, but the gist of the story is that South Africa believed that the cause of white supremacy was best served by supporting the United States and its allies in the Cold War. So they backed the anti-communist side in the civil war in Angola. Yeah, you can make of that what you will. (laughs) So Cuba came in on the side of the pro-communist Angolan government, and in Mm -hmm. short order, South African soldiers found themselves wildly outnumbered and outmaneuvered by the Cuban army um, and their, you know, forces in the Angolan army. Uh, They were forced to withdraw from the country, but before that happened, they captured a handful of Cuban military vehicles. Inside them, they found a variety of gas antidotes and gas masks. This convinced the South African defense forces that Cuban soldiers were preparing to use chemical weapons against them. Now, it's possible that this never happened. Everything I'm telling you now is based on war crimes trials conducted in the mid-1990s. But the South African military establishment claims that fears of Cuban chemical weapons is what drove them to start developing their own chemical weapons program. So, yeah. uh, Now... One thing I should note in terms of like determining whether or not this is true and whether or not they thought there was a really real military threat that inspired them to make chemical weapons is that right around the same time their war with Angola went to shit, the powers that be in South Africa also felt control of the domestic situation in their country slipping through their hands. Um, See, at this point in South Africa, white South Africans basically held all political power in the country despite making up only a small percentage of the population. Under Prime Minister B.J. Vorster, throughout the mid-1970s, economic growth plummeted, urban crowding grew worse, and it became increasingly clear to everyone that the black majority of the country was increasingly less willing to take this kind of shit. In 1976, after the last South African troops left Angola, students in the Soweto township of Johannesburg protested against the mandatory teaching of Afrikaans in school. Now, Afrikaans is like a white, Kind of like Mm. I think it's a descendant of like German or in Dutch and stuff. Like it's it's the language that the white people in South Africa speak, and black people in South Africa were not happy at being forced to learn a foreign occupier language. Um, Why not? Imagine (laughs) it's truly mystifying, Billy. (laughs) Normally, people love being forced to learn the language that the people who regularly shoot them speak. Why, it's be why, a fun why are you guys being delete. rude about this? Just learn our yeah. language. Why don't you want to learn? our Is it the shooting you? Is, <laughs> is it, that why you don't want to learn our language?
5: It's because it's because this is your country and we came here. Is that why? Are you <laughs> you gotta let that go, dude? You gotta let
4: that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, um, the Soweto uprisings were put down by white police with live rounds. Uh, they killed a number of school children and it sparked an international incident. Mm -hmm. Um, so obviously the late 1970s was not a great time for racial awareness, uh, in the West, but things had progressed enough that black school children being mowed down by white cops did not play well. And since South Africa's political position was precarious at best, they really needed the support of Western nations. Um, the head of their defense force, General Constant Viljean, later testified that the diplomatic backlash convinced the government that such bloodshed had to be prevented. So it'll, quote, focus the attention of the military on the need to develop alternative crowd control agents. So this is what starts uh. them on the road to developing chemical weapons, as they're like, boy, it looks bad when we just shoot people. <laughs> we need an
5: alternative
4: crowd control. We need an alternative to shooting
5: people. It's just a no, the way they be phrase those were alternative <laughs> yeah. crowd control. What's that mean? We can't shoot them yeah. anymore. Like,
4: okay. So gases seem like a good call because you can't see those so well on a camera. <laughs>
5: yeah, what if we just put like in, invisible stuff
4: that gets in their bodies and kills them that way? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's basically the thinking. So after Soweto, the South African defense establishment becomes convinced that a total strategy is necessary in order to defend the country from the unrest that was Increasingly sweeping the nation. Then I feel like By it might be our
5: fault to start with, but we're going to have to do something awful about it.
4: Now there's all this unrest. we got to do something about it. Let's, <laughs> let's try to do
5: the worst thing imaginable about it.
4: Yeah, <laughs> that, that's basically where this goes. <laughs> so in 1981, the South African government orders Brigadier Walter Basson, a young military cardiologist, to travel abroad and learn about the chemical and biological weapons programs of the Western world. Why, now, a car- Loder-
5: why a cardiologist?
4: Yeah, I guess because he was just the sh- the best evil doctor they had. Like, they looked at all the doctors in the military and were like, you're the evilest? Oh, yeah. They <laughs> That's my, at my guess. I don't know how you picked that. They're like,
5: this motherfucker is hollow inside. Let's get him yeah.
4: to <laughs> There is nothing behind this man's <laughs> yeah, eyes. Have you talked to him?
5: He's good at stuff, but I don't like it. Yeah.
4: yeah. <laughs> So, um, Woter, and his name is, I think, W-O-T-E-R, um, so I'm not, Wooter, I'm, it seems more like Walter, which is why I think I've called him that a couple of times, but, but Wooter, Wooter, we'll call him Wooter. Wuta was uh, 30 years old at this point, and he took to his task with all the enthusiasm you'd expect of a young wunderkind given the chance to embark on an unprecedented project. Project Coast, as it was named, grew into one of the most ambitious and sinister weapons projects in human history. Its goals, if not its ends, may have even eclipsed the Manhattan Project in horrifying scale. So we don't fully know where Basson traveled in order to learn the tools of his new deadly trade. The evidence we have shows he visited a dizzying variety of different destinations, a Congress on Chemical and Biological Weapons in San Antonio in May of 1981, a visit to Taiwan to see their chemical weapons factories that same year. He made trips to Denmark, Switzerland, and he spent more than four weeks in the Russian Academy of Sciences in Moscow. We know he spent time working with British intelligence, and it's impossible for us to say exactly how much help or what what precise sort of help these different nations provided. But it's fair to say that both sides of the chemical weapons industry, Soviet and uh, and Western, um, contributed knowledge to Woder's like later developments. So that's yeah, cool, right? It Everybody came together.
5: Yeah. It's like how if you I don't know if you've ever been to a gun show like, you know, yeah. like a fairground. It is like Oh, all the time. I know you have. Oh, yeah, this is more <laughs> for the people. But What always makes me laugh is like it's people that hate each other. It's like base. A gun show is like base where they go get their weapons and then they go fight each other outside.
4: Yeah, it's it's pretty fun actually. Uh, (laughs) It is the same thing going to gun rages and like seeing the different political patches on people's like bags and stuff and being like, Oh, you all (laughs) like couple of bad years and you'll be using those on each other. (laughs) Yeah. But you can't do it here yet. Not yet, not yet. But we know who you're picturing when you put those targets up. <laughs> <laughs> so throughout the late 1980s and early 1990s, Basson developed a shocking array of conventional chemical and biological weapons for South Africa. He designed rifle grenades, mortar bombs, and artillery shells with biological weapons capacity. Now, this was all... Pretty conventional within the dark standards of the arms industry at the time, but Basson quickly went beyond preparing South Africa's conventional forces for a shooting war that just involved chemical weapons. See, around the same time Project Coast started, the South African Special Forces launched Operation Barnacle. This was an action spearheaded by white former Rhodesian security operators to assassinate enemies of the apartheid government. Wouter Basson wound up at the heart of this enterprise, too. His goal in it was to clamp down on the Southwest African People's Organization in Namibia, a group the South African government considered terrorists, but most people would probably call freedom fighters. Here's how the Guardian described what Wooter Basson helped his government do to uh the Swapo is the acronym the south african Southwest African people's organization I think Swapo's fun quote. <laughs> Particular favorites of his were muscle relaxants which when given to victims in large doses caused their lungs to collapse and induced suffocation. Mother the charge sheet fucker. alleges that around 1980, Basson provided the toxins to kill 200 Namibian SWAPO guerrillas fighting for independence from South Africa. An aircraft was purchased for the purpose of disposing bodies in the sea. Ah. Well, yeah, it's it's fun stuff. Like
5: he's just like, "Oh, you think like he watches people be like, "Okay, man, that's terrible." He's like, "Just wait." It gets yeah. good. And they're like, no, 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 we're good. And he's like, no, no, I just p- cracked my knuckles. We're just now. Then we get an airplane and we dump their bodies in the ocean.
4: Right? You guys got to throw now, it up? Okay. Billy, you know who won't poison freedom fighters to death and dump their bodies in the ocean? Doritos. Probably well, actually, they they're they're owned by I think Frito Lay, and I suspect well, Frito Lay absolutely would do that. Yeah, um, yeah. or Conagra kind of yeah. Foods. Yeah, you're right. I'm with you on that. Yeah, <laughs> but you know who won't are the products and services that support this show.
2: That's TrinitySchool.org.
4: We're back. So, uh, Billy, when we, when we left off, we talked about uh, how Bassin provided toxins that shut down the lungs uh, of, of Swapo gorillas, and then they would throw them into the sea from helicopters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to continue quoting from that Guardian article. It just sort of what things uh, Wotu Bassin got involved with as part of this uh, operation to clamp down on an independence movement. Quote, Basson supplied quantities of tuberine and scoline, muscle relaxants, which in overdose would cause suffocation. Basson requested feedback about the effectivity of these substances, the indictment reads. Dr. Jack Bothma, an orthopedic surgeon who fled to Canada, is expected to testify that he handcuffed five men to trees and rubbed a poison gel into their bodies on the orders of Basson, who is allegedly experimenting with new means of killing people. When it failed to have the desired result, the men were murdered with muscle relaxants. Bothma has turned state's evidence in return for immunity from prosecution for the murders. His license to practice in and- Canada. canada was recently revoked after he failed the qualification exam in many cases the naked bodies of the victims were dumped at sea from a plane bassin is alleged to have sometimes gone along for the ride on other occasions the corpses were disposed of in blast furnaces or shallow graves so that's great god yeah so what you get from that this is obviously there were trials about this later which we'll talk about but this is a guy who number one he's charged with helping south african special forces clamp down on this this black liberation movement basically and he he it's not enough for him to just help them kill people like he's he's a scientist he's always experimenting so he's testing out new drugs on these people to like see what works well and there's like a kind of a perverse like like that, I guess I can understand is sort of like a sociopathic, like he's a scientist, he's yes. going to experiment with shit, the riding along to watch the corpses get thrown into the sea that is like, okay, this is beyond just like a soulless monster, like this guy gets some sort of enjoyment. there think, is from a pleasure
5: too. out of yeah, well, to me, yeah, to me, what made it seem pleasurable is the the lungs collapsing
4: yeah That's he's like, really focused on that
5: that is a that is a thing where it's like oh you're gonna live and know you're gonna know you're dying you're gonna it's like you're drowning yeah in in the like you're just drowning outside the water which
4: is awful and it's like there's also clearly um like you think about it from a tactical standpoint, and the only reason to use chemical weapons for this is to f- freak people out. Mm-hmm. is like the fear is to like scare them away from rebelling cuz like you could you if you just are trying to kill insurgents you you can shoot them yeah like you can execute people that's works very well and it's less horrible um so like there there's a, an an element of sadism present in like the whole south african military establishment where it's yes. like we these black people are n- not happy being ruled by us, and we have to make we have to scare the shit out of them while we kill them. Um, yeah, it's fun stuff, fun story. Thanks for sitting it's here It's just and good to be here. It it's it
5: always yeah. it's nice to Always about. a pleasure. But yeah. it is important that we talk about stuff like this because it's like Jesus. Yeah,
4: Stop it's doing it's wild that to each other. Yeah. Guys and where it, where this story goes is pretty wild so under, no Bassin's <laughs> yeah, yeah. Under Bassin's direction Under Basson's direction, South African operators used poison to kill several hundred people all over the world. Not all of his victims were insurgents in Africa. Some of them were murdered in the UK and mi5 later investigated at least six people who died of suspicious strokes and heart attacks, possibly as a result of Project Barnacle. So they're not just murdering like people who have taken up arms against them, they're killing like activists around the world, people who are like a danger to the apartheid regime. So that's cool. Well, they've learned from other regimes that turned yeah, I mean, into we did, yeah. empires and you know. Yeah. Yeah. And they all do it. Yeah. We mm-hmm. all do it. Mhm. Um, now, Basson traveled over the world throughout the late 1980s and early 90s, seemingly irrespective of the sanctions leveled against his nation. He attended conferences and spoke to chemical weapons experts in the U.S., Israel, and all across Western Europe, often while his agents were using his weapons to kill people in those countries. So that's really neat. Uh, nobody stopped this guy from traveling around to learn how to make better chemical weapons, even though, like, multiple nations that he traveled to had sanctions against South Africa for its racism. Well, they so wanted nice. to learn...
5: Yeah, best.
4: You think it might have been a two way street? Yeah, yeah.
5: I think it was like, oh, without a doubt, they're like, all right,
4: he's. We'll tell you some shit, but you've been practicing a lot, and we want to learn some things from (laughs) you. How'd you do that? Yeah, you get. Yeah. (laughs) You get that feeling. Yeah. And again, like, there's no way for there to be any evidence of that for me. Like, I can't say that happened, but like, fuck, you look into this guy's story, and I am certain there were some sketchy motherfuckers, and like, the CIA, and the Mossad, and MI5 probably even, who are like, yeah, we'll let him into the country, and we want to hear what he's got to say. Yeah.
5: (laughs) What does, what kind of, is he like, vegan? What's he like?
4: (laughs) Yeah, what does he want for lunch? Yeah. Yeah.
5: No, I, I assume that's how the, all that works. Where at some point, everything gets so confusing, you're just like, yeah, I mean, we're just learning how to do stuff. We don't know
4: who's yeah. a friend and who's not. Yeah, There's a... A great musician named Tom Lehrer, who was like the the Weird Al Yankovic of like the 50s and 60s. I think he's a math professor at Harvard now, um, but he was like an early musical funny man. And he wrote a song about Werner von Braun, who designed V2 rockets for the Nazis and then was instrumental in the US space program. And there's a line in it that I think really sums up all of these people very well. Um, when the rockets go up, who knows where they come down? That's not my department, says Werner von Braun. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's just like I think a lot of these people are like that it's like yeah he's killing people in our country too but like that's not my problem my mm-hmm. problem is developing better chemical weapons <laughs> yeah and he's good at it so yeah, he's really good at this shit yeah <laughs> So under Basson's direction, the apartheid government of South Africa developed a dizzying array of biological weapons, Ebola, e. coli, necrotizing fasciitis, anthrax, and botulinum. That last one deserves a bit of special discussion. See, botulinum, which is like if you ever if you have like a can that starts puffing up, like, you got to get rid of that thing very carefully because it has botulinum in it. Um, and botulinum is like one of the deadliest things by weight in this planet. Um, it's what we use in Botox treatments and mm-hmm. very uh, diluted measures. Um, but in slightly less diluted form, it can kill people by the thousands. Uh, Basson's team is alleged to have synthesized roughly five grams of botulinum, which is enough to murder five million people. Cool. So... That's cool. You can see, like, the scale of deadliness, though. You develop this, like, VX nerve gas, which a, a, a liter can kill a million people. And Bassin develops this botulinum toxin that, like, they, five grams can kill five million people. Yeah. Um, cool how science works like that. Well, and it's like, competitive. Thing, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, everyone's trying to beat each other. It's like, yeah. oh, they got a million people with a liter? We can, we can kill more people with less than that. And meaner. Yeah. Mainer too and it's it's the same thing like with your phones where it's like we were all marveled at how quickly phones got smaller and faster but like the same thing happens with murder poison <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah uh so Basson helped to direct the assassin cures isn't
5: that crazy yeah
4: <laughs> it, it is wild that we have we're way slower on that shit <laughs> <sighs> uh. So Bassin helped to direct assassination attempts against a number of African National Congress activists in London, which was like a, a, a group you know advocating for like more racial justice and reform of the apartheid system in south africa Uh, he was behind the assault of at least two members of the anc in london Uh, he developed a special poison that was launched via a syringe described as a screwdriver the only reason that the plot to kill these guys failed is that the scientist who tried to do the deed fucked up and almost stabbed himself instead then he panicked and threw the screwdriver into the thames so that Uh. one didn't work yeah Basson was involved in at least one attempt on the life of Nelson Mandela while well, he was a prisoner. Uh Wutu developed a way to slip thallium, a toxic heavy metal that basically melts your brain, in the Mandela's medication. Uh these attempts failed, but for his gallantry, Wutu Basson was awarded the Order of the Southern Cross, which even sounds like a racist thing. That
5: was going to say it was just like <laughs> that sounds like the most it's like the most racist award yeah. of
4: all time. It's the Southern yeah. Cross. And you're like, "Uh, go. I don't like it." Yeah, it's like, what we we got to come up with an, a, an award for racists, but we want to make it sound even more racist than the Iron Cross. Anybody got suggestions? Oh, I got one. <laughs> <laughs> what if we just call it Southern? What if we call it the Southern Iron <laughs> Cross of Alabama? <laughs> now, Nelson Mandela was released in 1990. In 1992, the ANC was unbanned in the face of massive unrest. Suddenly, the cause of black people having basic rights was legally legitimate in South Africa. Got hip all of a sudden. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So basically, the ANC had been like a terrorist group um, prior to this. And like ANC members had definitely done some terrorism in South Africa, although it's terrorism in a pretty fundamentally justifiable cause, I would argue but yeah and after 1992 the ANC is like a legal political party and the cause of black people having basic rights was like legally legitimate to fight for in South Africa now as you might imagine Wouter Basson was not happy with this uh and he responded by spearheading a plan to distribute poisoned beer to black people at bus stops so that's good stop stop what them from voting if you poison their beer the fuck <laughs> he's a real piece of shit <laughs> Yeah. Now, as I relate these stories, I don't want to discount the role of the South African government or military establishment in any of this, just because we're focusing on Wouter. Um, His work enjoyed a broad base of support among the powers that be in his unspeakably shitty government. His work was directed and approved at high levels and supported by a variety of less technically sophisticated methods of repression, some as simple as just guys with truncheons beating protesters. But Wouter Basson was a unique man within the South African military and medical establishments. He did eventually go to trial for his many, many crimes, and because of that trial, we have some knowledge of the extent of those crimes. Johan Theron, one of the operators who worked for Bassin, admitted personally to the murder of several hundred Swapo prisoners, along with South African defense soldiers identified as security risks, so they even killed soldiers in their own military. Multiple different government agencies managed Basson's chemical weapons project over the decade or so that he was active. In the late 1980s, as resistance to the apartheid regime picked up, Basson's work increasingly focused on poisoning members of the African National Congress, the South African Communist Party, and the South African Council for Churches. Uh, anyone who voiced displeasure with apartheid was subject to poisoning. The testing process for these poisons was as horrific as you'd imagine. The Platt Research Laboratory, where most of this work was done, conducted numerous experiments on dogs and horses. In one study, they poisoned baboons to death over the course of several days. So that's ah. cool. Yeah. But, of course, the killing of individuals could only go so far, and Wouter Basson knew that. By the late 1980s, the situation was dire enough for the government that they knew some sort of mass solution to the problem of black people wanting rights was necessary. Now, it was accepted that there were too many black people in South Africa to kill. This was not a moral question. Many people in the government likely would have supported mass murder, but they simply did not have the technical capacity to do so.
5: We, logistically, it'll be a nightmare, you guys. We just yeah, can't... We just, we don't have enough bullets. We just can't make it work. Yeah. So let's let them yeah. live. Good well. Good Lord. <laughs> That's they a do conversation decide that, that, they had in a room like we're sitting Yeah, in. Yeah.
4: We, we have to let most of them live. Mm-hmm. But, Billy, they didn't have to let most of them continue to have babies. And this is where Wutur Basson oh, comes cool, in again. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah. So under Basson, the South African military establishment embarked on a different scheme an anti-fertility vaccine.
6: Oh god. Yeah.
4: Yay. <laughs> I mean,
5: can't you just see some of the dingbats in the United States being like, "Oh, you want abortions? Is that what you want? We'll give you yeah. an abortion. We'll give you one for life." And you're like, "That's yeah. just what? No. That's
4: <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, so fully 18% of the projects Bassin masterminded during his time in the military were focused on what were referred to as fertility and fertility control studies. Scientists under Bassin later testified that they understood they were developing a vaccine which would be administered to black women without their knowledge or consent in order to render them infertile. damn it. Yes. Now, the initial goal of Bassin and his fellow scientists was to develop a vaccine that would only work on black women. This obviously proved to be impossible because black women are genetically the same as any other kind of women, and it just doesn't, things don't work that way. It's impossible to target people by skin color in that way. So it's interesting to me, Billy, that like these incredibly racist scientists start out by wanting to make a vaccine that will render black women infertile, and they realize that because black women are the same as every other kind of woman, they can't do it. And this doesn't lead them to like realize like, oh, maybe this racism is based on nothing. Oh, um, Science says we're stupid. Science says what we're doing is idiotic. But no, they they never that at can't any point. Be. That science is no. strong about that. We're smart. Yeah. So they were rational enough to accept that their plan of a vaccine to render black women infertile would not do anything, but they refused to give up on their plan of stopping black people from having sex. Well, at least from having babies. And so things evolved. Uh so one of like the scientists who worked under Bass and later testified as I've alluded to a few times and one of them a dude named Van Rinsberg claimed the effort started back in 1985. Um, And he said he was told that the project initially existed at the request of Jonas Savimbi, the Angolan anti-communist rebel leader and Paul Manafort client who was allied with South Africa. There we go. Uh, The story goes that Savimbi was concerned that his female fighters would get pregnant and wanted an anti-fertility vaccine. This is widely believed to be complete horseshit, Mm -hmm. designed to provide plausible deniability to the scientists. So basically, scientists were like, it seems maybe like fucked up that we're trying to render all black people infertile, and if there's ever a war crimes trial we're getting trouble and so their leadership was like no it's not to it's it's for this guy's female soldiers he just doesn't want him getting pregnant in battle he
5: needs them because when they get pregnant they can't do murder as good exactly that's a better
4: excuse yeah and it's like most of the scientists that were like talked to were like yeah we knew that was horseshit like it was <laughs> y- you give people a little bit of plausible deniability and that yeah, that's all it was so the Non-Proliferation Organization has a good write-up of the ensuing court case that includes an interview with one of Basson's men, and I'm going to quote from it now. Of course, the scientist did not believe the cover story. Van Rinsberg testified that he could not think that an intelligent man could think we would spend a couple million on a project like this to control pregnancy in a few of Savimbi's female soldiers. Nonetheless, the project got underway and became central to work at the research laboratories. After the fall of the apartheid government, a Truth and Reconciliation Commission was convened to investigate the unspeakable crimes the white government had committed against its black citizens. And this is where, like, all of our interviews from this come from. One of Basson's employees, a guy named Goosen, gave fascinating detail into the plan. The interviewer was a fellow named Jerome Chaskleton. So Chaskelton said... Uh, It was decided that a front company would be formed. Uh, And he was asked, can you tell us what brief that you were given for what this front company was? Uh, And Goosen said, our final brief or the other brief was a very important one was to develop a project to curtail the birth rate of the black population in the country. So Goosen was asked to give more detail on this and he said, the person who instructed us or asked us to do this was Dr. Bassin. Um, there was a lot of talk on the ethics of this and Bassin spent some time quoting to us the census figures of 1982 or 81 or whenever the census was. I can't remember exactly that the census office stopped counting the black people when they reached 45 million and the government decided that it was not feasible to make it known to the public that there were 45 million blacks. It was just too many and this was mainly one of our big threats and I think the figure of 28 million was made known. Now if those were true facts I wouldn't know. Up Till today, I don't know, but that was presented to us by Doctor Basson. So basically, Basson's scientists are like, we feel a little bit questionable about this. And one of the things they're told is that you are working to sterilize these gorillas, but they're also told that like, there is twice as many black people in the country as the government's willing to admit on the official census forms. So like, if we don't solve this problem of black people breeding soon, we're going to be outnumbered and overwhelmed, um, or like completely overwhelmed. So like, this is. Like, the scientists being told this are both simultaneously being told, you're not trying to sterilize all the black people, and also given evidence that, like, we have to sterilize all the black people right away, or we're <laughs> fucked. So, it's, yeah, wild. I like the arbitrary
5: numbers, too. Like, 45, stop yeah, counting. that's too stop high. Stop it.
4: Stop. Yeah. Don't count anymore. We can't tell Tell them anybody. it's 28. 28 yeah. is fine. Yeah. And Goosen later testified, based on conversations he had with different South African generals, uh, that he thought the anti-fertility project was considered by the government to be the most important project for the country. So, like, uh, as a general rule, um... Like, the anti-fertility project, when you, like, read stories about Bassin and his work, is portrayed as, like, one horrible project among others, um, and generally, like, less awful than the nerve gases and assassination drugs he made. Um, And I don't think that's fair, because the the reality, once you, like, dig into the documents, is that um, Bassin and his colleagues, like, what they were trying to do with these drugs was attempted genocide, um, like, their their goal here was yeah. to wipe out the black population of South Africa. They just wanted to do it more peacefully than with gunfire. Um, it's, like, it's pretty staggering. And do it silently. Yeah, silently and, like, in a way that people don't realize it's happening because you're yeah. secretly dosing people with this anti-fertility drug. Like, that's, that's the plan that's being made here. Um, Goosen later testified... By the government... By the government, yeah, to sterilize 45 million people or so, yeah. Uh, one thing I can remember which we spoke about was the effectivity then of the product which needed to be developed, whether it is 100% permanent sterilization or whether it's temporary or whether it's 80% effective. You know how these things work. In fact, we discussed involving uh, with t- uh, statisticians from the university and we discussed getting them secret clearance that they can work on the project for us to work out models, what will be the influence on population rate if the project was 50% effective for one year, 60, 70, whatever. Uh, so we realized that you cannot really, you might not achieve a hundred percent effective sterilization, and it was not thought to be necessary. So he's they're, they're saying like maybe we only stop seventy percent of them from breeding is what he's saying like mm-hmm. uh like that they, they, they it's but like those are the numbers they're looking at like this is a real effort to stop two thirds or more as many people as possible from breeding as many black people as possible from breeding. And I I think that that rises to the level of an attempted genocide. Yeah. Like 70, 80% sterilization. Like, you know, the, the, the Holocaust wiped out like roughly half of the world's Jewish population. So you're talking about the goal was something that would have led to an even sharper decline in the population of South African black people. Like that was the end goal of this. It was a much slower project, but like that's what they're shooting for. 70, 80%. It's pretty wild.
5: Yeah, it's like they're, they're, They had a discussion where they're like, "Well, I mean, the Nazis were just like too loud and efficient about it."
4: Yeah, exactly. So you can't kill them as fast as they did. That'll get you in trouble. Yeah, people get like real mouthy when you do it like that. So you got to just do it. We'll get invaded. But if we can stop eighty percent of them from having babies, well, then, yeah, pretty wild. Yeah. So. Thankfully, the anti-fertility vaccine was never distributed in mass, uh, and we have very little data on how it was tested, but we do know that the program was wound down in the early 1990s when President F.W. de Klerk was elected and the death knell of apartheid was obvious enough for even people like Bassin to hear. The new president ordered Project Coast to be gradually killed off, but he was not willing to give up on the dream of pacifying South Africa's black masses for domination by the white minority. Instead of sterilization or mass poisoning, though, President de Klerk started funding a kinder and gentler method of social control. He wanted Bassin to test the use of quaaludes and MDMA to pacify the restless population. Eh. So that's, that's nice. Okay. It is, be- it is better. I mean, <laughs> like, yeah. There yeah.
5: Might, it might, yeah, everyone's going to get along, be a little looser.
4: If it was for everyone in the country, I would say that's a great plan. Um, the racism is what ruins oh it, it's and, just, oh yeah. I see okay I missed that part no God, they always... were just giving them to black people to stop oh. them from wanting their rights no no you thought they were just giving lewds to everybody yeah unfortunately no that's fucking no. cool you know? yeah if it was just like the army helicoptering quaaludes and MDMA to everybody like I'm fine with that project that's yeah. a good use of the military but no this was racist very racist God, they, Always, yeah. there's always a catch Yeah. So uh, a scientist named Henny Jordan um, at a company that acted as a front for Project Coast is generally credited as the person who came up with the formula for what may have been the very best MDMA ever synthesized. Most sources suggest that it was over 95% purity, which is pretty exceptional. Now, I can't say for certain whether or not I or you uh, ever took this particular strain of ecstasy. um, But like, it's one of those things i started going through like my memories of the best ecstasy experiences i had in the early 2000s and like wondering like yeah that was a really good batch was that was that the genocide ecstasy mm-hmm. um because this stuff was initially cooked up as a crowd control drug got they got wanted ri- to dose it.
6: this m- got really sad really fast
4: yeah it's real bad um yeah. This was initially cooked up. They wanted to basically dose millions of black people with MDMA to, like, stop them from revolting and stuff. But how were—what was their delivery device? Well, I don't think they ever got that far. Because, like, they start—they cook up a huge amount of MDMA, but I don't think they ever really figure out, like, how to distribute it to people. Um, And then the government shuts down the project before they can dose anyone with it. So they just have a big old tank of MDMA. Yeah. Yeah, so they have millions of doses of MDMA, and no longer a government who's willing to, like, let them use it for anything. Um, And they kind of, Basson and his colleagues all kind of decide that they should use it to fund their retirements.
5: (laughs) It's not the worst thing they've ever done.
4: Yeah, it's definitely not, like, (laughs) I prefer them selling ecstasy to people to have for fun than murdering people. Yeah, and genocide,
5: doing doing a quiet genocide is not as...
4: Yeah. Yeah, so uh, the data we have suggests that, like, at some point, uh, the priority like, before the program got shut down entirely, but when they knew that Project Coast was going to get shut down completely, Basson and his colleagues stopped producing drugs for, like, crowd control purposes and started producing drugs to sell on the black market. Um, and what we know is that the bulk of the millions of doses of MDMA that Basson's labs cooked up wound up sold in Europe, India, and the United States. Um, wow. So... They just are like, we've only got a year or two left before the government shuts this lab down completely. Let's manufacture and sell as much ecstasy as we possibly can so that we can retire, uh, which is cool. What, what were they, they supposed to be
5: doing in that lab?
4: I don't... Th- I think it was... You know, it's a government project, so I think that, like, it became clear that they weren't going to do anything with the research before the, gov- the project actually got shut down. So no one was watching. They were just
5: like, we're just here for, like, seven more
4: months. Yeah, how much E can we make? Yeah. That's but cool. when
5: we, yeah, where usually when government workers are like, all right, vacation starts now, they're like, well, now
4: we can finally get to work and make some money yeah. here. Yeah, that's we funny. can get paid now. We didn't succeed in genocide, but we can sell a lot of ecstasy. But we can get people pretty fucked up. Yeah. So, <laughs> so um yeah. Obviously, like this is not the kind of thing you would ever have expected to have much detail about, and I do wish we had more, but like we have a lot of information about like all the different things this project was trying to do, which is weird, right? It's a special like a secret special forces plan for genocide. You wouldn't expect the South African government to have kept any files on this shit um and in fact, they didn't. so are you no. wondering how all this information got out? yeah. It's because Dr. Basson was a dumb shit. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, the government, when the apartheid regime fell, the government ordered all of the drugs cooked up as a result of these schemes and all the evidence of what they'd done in Project Coast destroyed. But Dr. Basson didn't do this. So, obviously, they continued, like, manufacturing narcotics for profit. Um, but he also kept all of his files on the project, probably as like an insurance scheme, mm-hmm. because he was afraid that the government was going to betray him, and he wanted to have evidence that other people had been involved. He's like, listen, so he I keeps... don't trust
5: you guys because of that time you made me try to kill all the black people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you guys
4: are genociders. Yeah. I don't like... <laughs> yeah. I feel like you
5: kill me pretty easy.
4: <laughs> so Basson keeps all of the private files for this genocide scheme in his house, and oh, while he's keeping this shit in his house he's personally like hand to hand selling millions of doses of ecstasy to oh, drug dealers jesus he's, <laughs> he's doing he's all that he's doing a lot of the sales yeah he's a he's a hands on fella <laughs> <laughs> so one of the guys buying drugs from Basson in this period is Grant Wintzel, uh, who is a commodities broker from Johannesburg, who also sold Ecstasy on the side. And he's one of the guys that Basson is selling to. And in 1997, Wintzel is busted by the cops. Huh. And you know, he agrees to roll over on his source. Yep. And they set him up with a wire and run him through a couple of deals to test his connections. And then they realize, like, a- as they're, like, studying this guy, they realize that one of his connections is a kind of inexplicably wealthy cardiologist who lives in the city um, and who seems to be the source of his drugs. Um, and, of course, it turns out that this cardiologist is Wouter Basson. Is he still practicing cardiology, too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You gotta have a cover, man.
5: I guess so. Fascinating. Maybe he likes it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that some- is what he got into originally
4: yeah 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 exactly go back to go back to basics you know it's the one of those things you know your career falls apart you know for most of us it's because the industry changed or you Mm -hmm. know something like that rather than a genocide plan failing but you go back to basics you know (laughs) and you also start selling e yeah like that's identifiable (laughs) yeah that's that's pretty smart actually (laughs) yeah yeah so Vice has a fun article on the bust that caught Basson, and I'm going to quote from that now. A white Nissan Sentra pulls up to Wintzel's car. Its occupant gets out and pops the trunk, pulling out a trash bag. Ellers and three other officers, these are South African police officers, recognize him immediately. Dr. Wouter Basson, the man the media would later dub Dr. Death for his alleged crimes in apartheid-era South Africa. Basson gives the bag to Wintzel, who hands him an envelope containing sixty thousand about fifty five thousand US dollars. Basson's cut of the deal had gone down five days earlier when Wintzel had been arrested. So at this point, Ellers makes his move. Basson tries to flee by ducking cops through the pond, a tactic that ends up slowing him down enough for the cops to catch up and make mm-hmm. an arrest. Yep. The trash bag contained red and black capsules filled with MDMA. MDMA that research chemist Tim McGibbon would testify at Basson's trial was created by a unique synthesis and was more than ninety-five percent pure. So he's not a good drug dealer. He just has a sack of this shit in his trunk that he delivers by hand to a source. Yeah, um, in a sack. <laughs> In, like a in a sack. sack in a trash bag yeah
5: cause he's like here's that shit y'all going crazy about yeah it's so like Walter white
4: yeah it is but like dumber like White at least gets his gets like tries to r- remove himself from the hand-to-hand dealing yeah he quick. at least
5: read yeah he read some books yeah. about the, the business of drugs yeah Homeboy was just like no here it is look give me that money yeah
4: why would I care yeah <laughs> Um so he gets arrested, Bassin gets arrested in this bus, and of course the cops search his home, which is what the cops are gonna do when they catch you trying to sell a full trash bag of ecstasy. Mm-hmm. Um and the police find more drugs in his house. But they also find his insurance policy against the old government. The boxes of folders containing the details of his plan to commit genocide and <laughs> in all saying, of his murders. Woo! I knew yeah. that would
5: come in handy.
4: Yeah. <laughs> Didn't think it was for this. <sighs> so, Billy I'm going to guess we've both had friends arrested for, like, simple marijuana possession, yeah. um, some of whom have done time. You would probably expect that when Wouter Basson gets caught with a trash bag of ecstasy and files in his house, like, going into detail about his complicity in hundreds of poison murders and an attempt at genocide, you would guess that would come with sizable jail time, right? Ah, uh, No. Yeah, yeah, you've done enough of these shows. <laughs> so, mm. in 1998-99, the South African Truth and Reconciliation Committee uh, held, or Commission held a public hearing into the chemical and biological warfare program that Basson had spearheaded. This was the first trial of its kind in history, and it brought out all the information we've discussed in this episode. It was heavily based on the files they'd taken from Basson's house. But it failed to actually punish him for any of his crimes. His official trial started in October of 1999, where he was charged with 67 counts ranging from drug possession and embezzlement to murdering 229 people. Basson called, as the only witness in his defense himself. He claimed he had learned the secrets of chemical warfare from Saddam Hussein's government in Iraq, which was at that point, backed up by the U.S. Defense Establishment, back in like the 80s when he was working there. He admitted basically everything we'd talked about today, save the attempted genocide, and was found not guilty on the ground that nothing he'd done had been illegal at the time. So that's cool. I mean... He's not... Yeah. He's not wrong, but also like fuck that yeah <laughs> like so now a free man Basson became a popular speaker on the international circuit he was paid to deliver such headline events as <laughs> dr wouter Basson, a motivational talk from groups like the kelvin grove club an organization in south africa that bans jewish membership mm. so that's he's 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 a hero to some people oh i bet he now, is yes there have been numerous hearings uh, in the years since, as the, the, some members of the government in South Africa have attempted to punish Wouter Basson for his numerous crimes, uh, and he f- was eventually found guilty of professional misconduct, um, but none of these trials have resulted in long-term charges. In March of 2019, a high court in South Africa found that even those charges were, had been made by a biased court, and the results were set aside. Dr. Wouter Basson remains a free and unpunished man to this day.
5: Okay, I don't so that's like. That's cool. The, uh, yeah, it's super cool that he's, he's just out there because you know he's just chilling. You know he's not doing anything bad. Um, nope. No, not at all. It's not in his nature. But here's my question: as someone that's read history and keeps up with how laws and politics and all that works, uh, what files are they not talking about that he probably had that keeps getting yeah. him
4: out? of stuff. Like, they they were willing to admit the attempted genocide on South Africa's black population. What did they keep under wraps? Yes. <laughs> that's,
5: like, yeah, that's my, when you were saying all that, I'm like, there's stuff in there they're not, because that's yeah, my friend, yeah. Like, yeah, we did try to kill all the black people. Yes. We didn't try to, we tried to stop them all from breeding. Yes. Because we couldn't kill them all. We, that was, we. Were, this guy was trying to help us do that, but just nothing else. We didn't do anything else.
4: Nothing else. Nothing. Nothing else. There's nothing that's unspeakably and almost unimaginably evil waiting buried in a bunker somewhere Don't in South Africa that Wouter Bassin invented. Trust ask us. Ask
5: him anything else. <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> oh, it is, you kind of do think, like, I'm not obviously familiar with the intricacies of South African law, so maybe it is just an understandable technicality and a necessary part of the reconciliation effort that, like, well, he no. wasn't... It's not what margible. my heart says. That's not what my heart says. Yeah, that's not what my heart My heart says they were like, this guy has an other insurance policies waiting, and if he does time, something unspeakable will be revealed. Yeah, and um, he's I don't smarter know, than us, so... <laughs> yeah, he's very smart. Yeah. Not a dumb man. So, if you did great ecstasy, like unbelievably good ecstasy, in the late 90s, early 2000s, maybe. (laughs) Like, he made enough that it circulated for a while after he got busted.
5: I mean, he is like a metaphor for every drug dealer. Do you know what I mean? Like, they're like, yeah, I mean, we know. We know what he does. But, have you... Have you tried his? Have his, you tr-
4: have you tried his shit?
5: It's <laughs> it's crazy. I know. I know. Yeah. And don't bring your sister around him. But yeah, because he does that thing. Yeah. But he's the only guy in three counties that can.
4: Yeah, I mean it is one of those things on like a personal scale. You'll accept the fact that your your drug dealer is like creepy yeah. and like says some like weird things every now and then and like you don't you wouldn't want to be alone with him or let other friends be alone with him. You like travel in a group to go pick up your shit from yes. his place and, and do and not like, meet him to, there. Do not meet him. Yeah, no. that guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um but, like, on a, on a larger scale, I guess we're willing to accept genocide. I mean, nobody, none of the people buying that ecstasy knew it was genocide ecstasy. No. Um, I think but, probably
5: there's some there's some traffickers or distributors that had a clue.
4: Yeah, someone being like, where's this shit coming from? I don't know, South Africa. Ooh. Oh, God. <laughs> That's probably not a good story. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like every time I've done cocaine, it's been like... I wonder if someone was shot for this. Yeah. Maybe.
5: Yes. Yes. Yeah. And not even like maybe where you think. It's Mm -hmm. like, I do. I talk about that like with heroin. Listen, it's awful, but it's also responsible for most of the most amazing music we've ever, we've had. And people are like, no, I'm like, no, I'm not saying that the singer of your favorite song, but someone that was working on that album, yes, Mm -hmm. was on heroin someone it someone. helps it helps with music it's not good but it does help
4: so if you're a musician billy's official advice is to pick up some heroin uh sophie are we sponsored no, by heroin
5: no not just a musician a incredibly talented musician that has not yeah. like broken through yet but don't get addicted
6: no, and no. Should we everything? edit
5: that last part? I don't know. I do it on live shows sometimes. I do say that, but it's a live show, <laughs> so they can't.
4: <laughs> you know what, though, we can say about heroin? It was not manufactured by Wouter Bassin. That we know about? I don't know. That we that, that we know about. That, In yeah. fact, it very, like, I mean, I guess it's easier. Like, I think Bassin, like, you don't need a doctor to, to make your heroin, right? no. No, you like, just need that. To... I, I think people hook, cook it in their living rooms
5: pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. From yep. what I've seen on Nat Geo channel.
4: That's where that's where it comes from. Yeah. So yeah, he's 69 years old. Uh mm-t's, he's probably mm-t's, mm-t's,
5: mm-t's, mm-t's, mm-t's,
4: mm-t's, mm-t's, mm-t's.
5: I just Billy. I just think that's I I like to imagine yeah. that's how he's just living. Like just a 69 year old. Just <laughs> Raven
4: Day and night, yeah.
6: I think so he he's... has like a pet gerbil, and also does that dance all day. But definitely has a pet gerbil.
5: I think he goes to Ibiza a couple times a year, like...
6: with his pet gerbil. <laughs> I don't know why I picked. Yeah. It. You feel, it feel with good? A That's because of me, right? I honestly. If think you've danced a with a
4: raci- racist South African cardiologist at Ibiza, uh, it was it was Bassin. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wonder if he ever did ecstasy. I don't like
5: I, the way he was delivering it in the bag is hilarious to me. Should
6: I, yeah. uh, Robert, should, ol- I show, should I show uh, what he looks like? To oh, yeah. Because buy- yeah, he, lo-
4: he looks like the lobotomy doctor, actually.
6: This is why I said I think he has a pet gerbil based on his face.
4: Oh um,
5: Yeah, you kind
6: of see it, right?
5: Yeah.
6: A, He's got a pet gerbil.
5: I, he looked way cooler in my head.
6: He's not cool.
5: No, he's not that cool. No. No, he looks like he makes... You know what? He looks like he makes sarin gas and shit. Yeah. Yeah. He does, right? Yeah, he does. He doesn't look like... And he looks like he makes MDMA out of spite.
6: I don't like his face. I'm just gonna put it out there.
5: If that makes sense. Yeah. Like, he's not trying to get laid.
6: Maybe by his gerbil.
5: Yeah, that's true. Sorry to gerbils everywhere. Yeah, I think... Yeah, and he looks Ooh, like someone that...
6: Young photo of him winking.
5: Yeah, he rides Yikes. in the plane to watch the bodies get dumped out. I don't, yeah, he's that guy. Yeah, he does look... Cool. I don't...
6: <sighs> I don't enjoy his face. I like that
5: my mind goes to like a softer person, but that's not who he is. Wow. Just trying to give him the benefit mm-hmm. of the doubt. I do like that. I would love to see the footage of him getting busted, though. With that sack of pills.
4: Yeah. Yeah, that would be fun. I want to see him, like, running from the cops, (laughs) because you know it was hilarious, and he was really bad at it. Um, Yes. Yeah, there's not in him. Uh Uh-uh. Like, it's amazing for how smart this guy is that he would be like, well, but I'm going to keep all of my genocide files unprotected in my my home, along with piles of illegal drugs. This seems like a good idea. (laughs) Well, he does seem very (laughs) unfamiliar with drug culture. And with crime. Yeah, I think it's because he was doing all these horrible things for years, and he was being supported by the government, so he never worried about it at all. Yeah, it's all very structured, and
5: And there's like an email and memos involved. It's not like, hey, meet me in a park, and we're going to make a rocket.
4: Yeah, there's a real learning curve. To 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 crime, and while he was good at committing the kind of crimes that aren't crimes because a government tells you to do them, he was bad at committing crimes that are crimes because the government tells you not to do it. <laughs> yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah, amazing. It is amazing. Wouter So you can go find him in South Africa. Say hi. See if he's got any e hanging around. I bet he's friendly, you guys. I bet he's very nice if you have a certain complexion.
5: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm gonna guess he's not not nice people. to everybody. Yes, no, he's yeah. not.
4: Um, there was like a weird story that like one of the people who was part of the prosecution against him he he gave heart surgery to like before the trial, uh, and it was fine. Uh, but it's like it's pretty weird. <laughs> that is so weird. What people's yeah. like what their boundaries are are very strange. Yeah, the compartmentalization, I guess it's kind of like, like Ben Carson yes. obviously h- hasn't committed crimes on this scale, but he's not someone I like or think is a particularly good person, but if I needed brain surgery, I'm sure he's, like, everything I hear is he's great at it, so what do you do? Well, Billy, mm-hmm. this has been a fun story about a guy who tried to commit genocide, and who did make a lot of people drown in their own lung fluid, You know uh, what? and then sold ecstasy and got off scot-free. I would rather, if we're doing silver
5: linings, someone try and fail at genocide and end up making ecstasy for everyone, than someone trying to make fun drugs and end up committing genocide on accident.
4: I guess you could say that Wouter Basson is actually the best case scenario for someone who attempts to commit genocide. Like, failing to commit genocide, that did not make Anderson happy. No, Anderson did (laughs) not. Uh, No. It's a good dog. Um, (laughs) It's a good dog. And what you're saying is bullshit. (laughs) Well, but I mean, like, normally when people try to commit genocide, they kill a lot of people. And he failed to kill a lot of... Well, he killed a lot of people. But then he made ecstasy. So I guess that's better than killing a lot of people and not i don't really know where i'm going with
5: this i think it is gonna be one of those like if there's an afterlife and it's like what your grandma thinks yeah saint peter's up there he's like ah you got a lot you made a lot of people really fucked up and am happy
4: but you did some killing uh, i did. mean a lot of killing he did do i think lot. attempted genocide outweighs the ecstasy but yeah who yeah. boy maybe there's not anything to learn from the story of wood bassin um other than that apartheid was garbage and the south african nation under apartheid was one of the worst countries that ever existed mm-hmm. and i hope wouter Basson gets hit by a car soon yeah with a bag yeah. of pills in his hand with a bag of pills in his they hand trying everywhere. to sell a trash bag of drugs and they just <laughs> go
5: everywhere and everyone gets them for free
4: yeah <laughs> that's kind of the best case scenario well billy it's been a pleasure. You got any pluggables to plug?
5: Uh, not, I mean, yeah, I'll be on tour coming up soon. Um, we're booking all that right now, but just at Billy Wayne Davis is my Twitter, and uh, I'm on the new season of Squidbillies, so check that out. And
4: at Billy Wayne Davis is my Instagram. So, Well, you can find me on Twitter, too, and I'm not going to tell you where, but you can. I'm there. Seek me out. And if you're meant to find me, you will. You can also find this podcast on Twitter, at Instagram, and at BastardsPod. You can find our sources at BehindTheBastards.com. And you can hopefully not attempt to commit genocide. That's all I ask of my audience. Don't
5: do it, you guys. Don't don't even try.
4: Not even once. Don't. You can attempt to make ecstasy. Yeah, as much as you want, really. I'm fine with that. This is a very pro- amateur chemistry podcast unless it's genocide chemistry. Yeah, don't what are doing? Try to help your parents marriage. And don't be racist about who you give your ecstasy to. Give it to everybody, otherwise it's a problem.
5: Yeah, that is fun. Mm-hmm. I did th- Yeah, this one yeah. puzzled me. There's some science puzzles here in this one that I it was,
4: Yeah, but. it's a thinker.
5: It's it's a real thinker. It's a motherfucker is what that is, where you're just like, oh, you figured out that
4: we're all the same, so you can't.
5: Okay, I'm going to go. All
4: right. -hmm. Yep. All right, everybody. Have fun with this one. Enjoy your holidays. If this comes out before the holidays. Bye. Bye. Bye.
0: Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop.
4: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through.